The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. What the Bible says about longevity or life expectancy, um, the unique thing about this one is I, I can't ever remember hearing a sermon in my 25 years of being a believer on this topic. Uh, so that's why one of the reasons I was excited to, be, to preach on this. Uh, and I think it is relevant. This isn't just academic or head knowledge or an interesting fact or data. There are real-life implications to understanding this truth, first of all, because it's in the Bible uh, all over the place from Genesis to Revelation, this issue of the uh, how long we live, life expectancy, the issue of death, why there's death, why things happen the way that they do. So there are many practical truths that intersect with this idea of what the Bible says about longevity. Another important truth that intersects on this topic is the sufficiency of Scripture and also that we can trust in the Bible and what it says. Because there's a disagreement about the answer to what the Bible says about longevity. People currently in the future and also historically, especially in the Old Testament. I remember when I was in first grade at a Catholic school, my first grade, one of my favorite teachers, her name was Miss Will, W-I-L-L. I had some lousy teachers. She was a good teacher. And I... Just many things I remember about her. It was at a Catholic school, and I just remember the first month of first grade. I don't even know why. We had a religion class each day. And Miss Will talked about how in the Bible, she was talking about Adam, Adam and Eve. And she read out of Genesis 1 through 3 and was telling us, it was, isn't this fascinating class that the Bible says Adam lived to be 930 years old? And we're all little first graders going, wow, cool. Whoa, I had never heard that as a first grader. 930 years old. I think my mom and dad were 46 and 47 at the time. I thought they were really old. 930 years. And so I have never forgotten that, that Miss Will said that on that day. Commenting, taking the Word of God at face value made an indelible impression in my mind as a first grader. Now, unfortunately... Ever since first grade, most people, when talking about this topic, have said just the opposite of Miss Will and undermined what she told me. That, well, when you read that Adam was 930 years old in the Bible, it's not literal. He really didn't live that old. Now, this, this is typically coming from the evangelical church, uh, evangelical commentaries. Uh, I wrote, read a snootful this week, just about every single one. Yeah, when it says Adam was 930 and all that, it's, it's, that's a gloss. That's uh, whatever that means. What they mean is you can't take it literally. Adam wasn't, if there was an Adam, by the way, because um, we're not sure about that, says these evangelical scholars, and 930 definitely wasn't that age. And there's no reason to believe that people haven't been living as long as they've always been living as we see today. And uh, these are supposed evangelical Bible scholars. And so I just think it's very misleading. Uh, to say that is really to undermine Scripture. It's a vicious, really, attack on the integrity of God's Word because Proverbs 30 says this. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God is tested. One translation says, every word of God is flawless. The Scripture. So, when Genesis says that Adam was 930 years old, talking about the Word of God. Every word of God is flawless, it is tested, it is tried, it is stable, it is perfect. 
came from the very breath and the mind of God through His Spirit. God is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to His words, lest He reprove you and you be proved a liar. Do not add to God's words. So, to take Genesis 5 where it says that Adam lived to be 930 years of age and then he died... And to put a spin, an interpretation on it and say, well, the Bible says Adam was 930 and then he died. But it doesn't really mean that. Well, that's to add to God's Word. It's to add your own humanistic interpretation. That is very dangerous. Do not tamper with God's Word. We have every reason to believe objectively from the Old Testament when the Old Testament saints read Genesis and when Moses wrote Genesis down in 1400 B.C. Moses, the prophet of God, the most humble man of God on earth at that time, the man of God who spoke face to face with Almighty God, Moses believed Genesis 5 was literal. Moses believed that Adam really lived to be 930 years of age. Moses was a prophet. He knew. The Jews believed that. Without a doubt. So, there are practical implications here just on bibliology and our view of Scripture. Can we trust the Bible? Boy, if we can't even trust it on something like that, how in the world are we supposed to trust it on weightier issues and spiritual issues and eternal issues if we can't even trust it when it says something so simple like Adam lived in B930, then he died? Uh, we can trust the Bible no matter what it says on any given topic, topic and, and we need to. So, that's really what's at stake here. There's another scenario. When I was in seminary, uh, some well-meaning Christians approached me on some miracle vitamins that could, if you started taking them, for only $49.95 a month. These are Christian spiritual vitamins. They're not like any other vitamins. You can live to be 150 years of age and maybe 200. And by the way, it's happening in all these countries over in Japan and whatever else. And I, I didn't buy it. I did not believe that because Psalm 90 just popped into my mind. Boom. God decreed our days are 70 to 80. I don't believe your vitamins are, or whatever uh, modern day conventions and technology you have in medicine are going to violate God's decree laid down 1400 B.C. and extend my life to 150 to 200 plus. Who says I want to live 150 years in this miserable world anyway? I want to go to heaven. At least that was my mindset 20 years ago. And I, so actually it was Psalm 90 that just popped into my mind. I thought, mm, this is a scam. I don't believe it. Because I know what God's Word says. And that's what God's Word does, doesn't it? It helps us be discerning, right? Even though they had a very convincing argument. Um, so let's go ahead and look at what the Bible says about longevity. It is very interesting. This topic uh, hardly talked about, but again, there are practical applications and implications for us. Let's go ahead and look at these. Uh, some of the points I'm going to camp out longer than the others. Uh, starting at point one that we need to know. Usually numbers in the Bible are literal. That's just a rule of thumb and hermeneutics. We talked about that in our teaching seminar with the women, also with the men. We saw that in Revelation as well when I went through all those numbers. Just about every number in Revelation is a literal number. And the onus is on the person who wants to say it's not literal. A thousand years. Six times a thousand years of the millennium in Revelation 21 through 6. You need to tell me and explain to me from context, from the grammar, from the syntax, from history, from theology, why that 1,000 years is not literal. And you're going to have a hard time doing that. And that's just the general rule in the Bible. Usually numbers in the Bible are literal. Usually. That's the norm. Uh, number two. Whether it's uh, Jesus was, would be in the grave for three days or 
mean, I just give you all kinds of examples. Uh, number two, in Hebrew, time indicators are literal. Time indicators, what I mean by that are things that designate time, whether it's a day, a measurement of time, a month, a year, and on and on. Time indicators. Genesis, so look at Genesis 1.14. We're going to look at a couple of verses in Genesis. We'll be, first in Genesis 1.14 and then Genesis 1, uh, chapter 7. Now, a lot of people, when they get to uh, Genesis 1 and 2 in the evangelical world, they try to tell us, or liberal scholarship tries to tell us, well, what you need to understand about Genesis is Genesis 1, or Genesis 1 to 3 is poetry, Hebrew poetry, and the rest of Genesis is not poetry. So Genesis 1 through 3 can't be taken literal. That's what they tell us. That is not true. I teach Genesis. I teach it from Hebrew. I teach it to seminary students. It's not poetry. It never has been. It's never been considered that. Uh, the Jews know that. The Jews had Genesis for 1,400 years before the church did. They knew it was historical narrative in terms of the way it was written, the grammar, the syntax. So it's not poetry, it's historical narrative in terms of the genre. But uh, they try to tell us it's poetry because they want to, then they want to turn everything figurative. From the days of the week to this to that, to how God did things. The fact that Adam was made out of a pile of dirt, Eve was made out of a rib. They want to dismiss that and say it's all poetic of a greater reality. That's not true. It's literal. It's history, actually. True of Genesis. So look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. And so where they really want to apply this is they, when Scripture says in Genesis 1, uh, there was morning, evening, day, or there's evening, morning, day one, evening, morning, day two, evening, morning, day three, evening, and then in seven days God made the world. And they want to say, well, those aren't real days. Those are vast eons of times. And what you need to understand here in the Hebrew is the word for day, yom, means year. The word for day means year. Well, no, the word for day doesn't mean year. The word for day in Hebrew means day. So that's uh, point 2A. In Hebrew, time indicators are literal. In Hebrew, especially in Genesis, the word day means day. The word is yom. Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. Kippur means atonement, to cover. Yom just means it's the normal word for day. It's used hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in the Old Testament. Just about every single time it means a real day. And I put down there for you that uh, yom is used 72 times in the singular in Genesis, 61 times in the plural in Genesis. It always means... Day in the normal sense of the word. And it never means year in Genesis. So a day means a day. But Genesis 1.14 says this. Because they try to tell us, well, the word day in Genesis 1 means years. Well, then you got a problem at verse 14 because uh, Moses, when he wrote this down, recording what God said, he uses the word Hebrew word yom, day, along with the word for year. And he uses them as distinct from one another. Then God said, verse 14... Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens, those are the stars, to separate, and the moon and the sun. Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And the word there for day is yom in the plural, and the word year is the normal word in Hebrew for year. So there's the two Hebrew words, day and year, used in proximity together. They are both literal. Day means day. Year means year. They're not the same. Day doesn't mean year in Genesis 1. So it's very important. Just take it at face value. Very easy to understand if you read it in the normal sense. Six, uh, so day means day. Uh, B, month means month. In Genesis, I even put the Hebrew word there for you. If you want to brush up on your Hebrew. I had that little 
Hebrew camper in my group this week. It was good because we were exchanging Hebrew thoughts together and Hebrew words. He was uh, correcting all my pronunciation, which was helpful. I'm not a Semite. Caucasian dude. Uh, So, and the, the word month, the Hebrew word for month, occurs 11 times in the singular in the book of Genesis, one time in the plural in Genesis, and all 12 times the word month means a literal month. Day means a day, month means a month. Look at Genesis, oh, and then the last one, see, in Genesis, a year means a year. And there's the Hebrew pronunciation. The Hebrew word for year is used nine times in the singular in Genesis, 110 times in the plural in Genesis, and all 119 times, a year means a year. That's why I said point number one, numbers are literal. Take them at face value. Look at Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, where uh, in the days of Noah, I think all three words are used together in the same verse. Day, month, year. And they're all literal. In the 600th year of Noah's life. Okay, literally. He was 600 years old. He was an old guy. So there's the word year. In the 600th year of Noah's life. In the second month. That's the set, that For us, that would be February. And the Jewish calendar is a different month. Month. So you got year is used. It's literal. Month is used. It's literal. It's talking about their 12-month calendar. In the second month, on the 17th day of the month, there's the word day right there. Literally a day, the exact literal day. So all three terms, year, month, day, used in the same verse, all used literally. And they all are distinct from one another as time indicators to be taken literally at face value. So in Hebrew, time indicators are literal, especially in the book of Genesis. So you can't just dismiss the face value truth of Genesis 1 through 3 of the amazing things that God did when he created the world out of nothing. He did it in seven days. He made the first man from dirt and the first woman from a rib. And when human beings die and they're buried, they turn back into dirt. Isn't that amazing how that works? What a dink! God made us out of dirt. When we die, we turn into dirt. Uh, That just validates the Bible is true. So let's go on to point number three. Because we're speaking about life expectancy and so you've got to talk about death. Why is there death? One of the most uh, universal and important and profound questions every human soul needs to answer. Why is there death? Ask, they need to ask it and answer it. And in my group with my four little guys this week in camp, I, I asked them about that on day three on Wednesday. Do you guys ever think about death? And the most part they said, no, try not to. Well, you got to. You ever thought about where it comes from? Well, not really. Well, the Bible tells us where it comes from and why people die. What is death? Why do we have it? It's a reality. Death is an ongoing reminder of God's hatred for sin. God hates sin. He hated the first sin of Adam and Eve and He punished their first sin with death. That's what Scripture says. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, God told Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat from the forbidden fruit, you shall surely die. So death is the consequence of sin. All death, ultimately. Consequence of sin. Jesus' death on the cross was the consequence of sin. Not His sin, our sin that He willingly bore on Himself. He died for us to appease God's wrath because Jesus knew that God the Father hated sin. Jesus hated sin and knew that sin needed to be punished with death. So death is an ongoing reminder of God's hatred for sin and that's why the book of Ecclesiastes says it's better to go to a funeral or memorial service than to a party because we are reminded of one of the greatest realities in life that death is real. Death is imminent. Death matters. God hates Sin, He punishes sin with death. And going to a memorial service or a funeral sobers us back into reality, doesn't it? happens every time I go to a memorial service or every time I do one. Death is real. Death is imminent. Death is coming, even for me. 
And it reminds us about God and His character. He hates sin and punishes it with death. Ezekiel 18 says, God said the soul that sins must die. That is the consequence. The soul that sins must die. Every soul is mine. And the soul that sins must die. Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. So, death is the consequence of sin. If you sin, you deserve death in God's view. So death is an ongoing reminder of God's hatred. That's the bad news. There's good news that you can also have life. Every one of us faces death. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. And then that's why God the Father and Jesus, Jesus, sent, Jesus was sent down here to take on a human body as the God-man, to live a perfect life, to fulfill God's righteous law, to willingly die on the cross as a substitute for sinners, to be punished with the holy wrath of Almighty God who hates sin. And Jesus absorbed all the sin of the world upon Himself. And God the Father punished all of that sin in Jesus. And it was condemned. It was nailed to the cross. And Jesus was buried. He rose again from the dead victoriously, overcoming the consequence and penalty of that sin, having nailed it to the cross, being the victor over life, He lives, He reigns on high and imparts eternal life, forgiveness of all sin to anybody who will trust in Him as Savior and Lord as they cry out to Him, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Save me from eternal death. And give me eternal life. That's the Gospel. That is Christianity. That is the good news. If you're a Christian, you know that reality. And you've been saved and preserved from a God who hates sin through Jesus' Death and resurrection. Number four, life expectancy. So now we get to the issue at hand with that background information. Number four, life expectancy before the flood. So this would be from Adam up to Noah. This would be Genesis chapter 1 up to Genesis chapter 9. This would be 4,000 B.C. approximately to 2,500 B.C. So this is a 1,500 year period. 1,500 years. This was probably the norm. Life expectancy before the flood was about 900 years. 900 years. Let's look at Genesis chapter 5 real quick. Quick survey. Genesis 1. This is the book of the generations, or literally, this is the history of Adam. Toledoth is the Hebrew word for generations. It means the history of. Isn't that interesting? The history of. The history of. That same word is in Genesis 2 where it says this is the history of. And they try to tell us that Genesis 2 is not history, but it means the history of. This is the history of Adam. In the day when God created man, God made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and He blessed them and made them, Adam and Eve, man, mankind, in the day when He created them. And specifically regarding Adam in verse 3, when Adam had lived... So Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. And then Cain murdered Abel. And then God replaced righteous Abel with another son named Seth. But Adam and Eve had many other children as well. But verse 3, When Adam had lived, had lived 130 years, literally, that's amazing, isn't it? 130 years. And it's to be taken literally. Well, how, how could they live to be 130 back then? I don't know, but that was 6,000 years ago and that's the way it was and that's what God decreed. God made it possible. That's how it happened. When Adam and Eve had lived 130 years, actually Psalm 90 is going to address this issue, how they could live so long and how we don't live so long today. Uh, 130 years, and then 
he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his own image, and named him Seth. So when he was 130 years old, he became a dad of a son named Seth. Then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years. So you add 800 to 130 and you come up with 930 years for Adam's life. And that's exactly what the Scripture does there. It says at the end of verse 4, Adam had other sons and daughters. Verse 5 says, so all the days... And the days there is literal because days are smaller increments of years. Years are made up of days. That's what it means. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. And he died. That phrase, and he died, is repeated about seven times in Genesis 5. It says Seth died, Enosh died, Kenan died, Mahaliel died, Jared died, Methuselah died, Lamech died. He died and he died and he died. The point is, is because he's going back to Genesis 2.17 where God says, in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. The death penalty will be invoked as a result of sin. And here's a manifestation and an example of it. All these men died. They died from disobedience. They died from inherited sin from Adam. That is God's curse. God hates sin. He must punish sin. He does with death. And he died. And he died. And he died. So it's the vicious reminder of... The severity of death, and he died. But the point is, is Adam lived to be 930. Look at verse 6. So he had the son named Seth. Seth then lived 105 years and became the father of Enosh. And he's tracing a very specific line in the lineage here. Verse 7, then Seth lived 807 years. So you add 807 to 105, comes up with 912 so Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years. And he died. That is to be taken literally. Adam lived 930. Seth lived 912. Wow. Verse 9. And Enosh lived 90 years, the grandson of Adam, the son of Seth. And when he was 90, he had a son named Kenan. And then Enosh lived 815 years after he became the father of Kenan and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. Adam died when he was 930. Seth when he was 912. Enosh when he was 905. Do you see a pattern? You have the decline in longevity of life. You have a decline, although it's subtle, in life expectancy. And that's going to actually continue throughout the entire Old Testament. Every once in a while there's a boop. Kind of like uh, Methuselah. He kind of messed up the, the averages. Somebody always messes up the average on a test. You know how that goes. Well, that was Methuselah. So if you just trace that and go through, these are real men. They are literal. The New Testament mentions these men as literal in the genealogies and the Gospels. They are real men. They're in the same genealogy that Jesus is in. They're in the same genealogies that David and Abraham are in. These are real, literal men. And it's very specific. How old, they were, how old their dad was when they were born. How old their dad was when uh, the dad died. So this is not to be spiritualized or dismissed or to say, oh, there's a bunch of gaps in here. Let's put a zillion years in here so we can accommodate evolution. Can't do it. Not in this chapter. So very important. But the trend that shows us during this time period, over a 1,500-year period, was the life expectancy before the flood uh, was 900 years. So something significant happened after the flood that impacted humanity where longevity of humanity wasn't going to be as long. We don't know what that was. Was it the... Uh, the expanse that God tore a hole in uh, that was kind of a preservation for humanity in the beginning because we know at the time of the flood it burst open and was destroyed so that water can come out from outer space and flood planet Earth. 
Uh, was it the fact that the diet of humanity was changed? Could be. Or God did something to our physiology because uh, at the time of the flood, God said you will now eat not just plants, but you're going to be eating meat as well. We don't know what happened other than the fact that the longevity, the life expectancy drastically, clearly changed after the time of Noah. Uh, flip over to no, uh, Genesis chapter 9. And so Noah was 600 years old at the time of the flood. And then he got off the ark. And then I think he lived another 300 years post-flood. 350 years right there. So Genesis chapter 9, verse 28. And Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So all the days of Noah were 950 years. See, so uh, that's consistent with how long Adam lived in all of all those people prior to the flood, 950 years. But then there's a drastic change uh, after Noah and the flood in terms of his descendants and the lifespan that takes us to number five. Life expectancy after the flood, which would be about 2500 B.C. up to the time of Abraham, 2100 B.C. Very clearly, any time we see it in Scripture, from those after Noah all the way up into Abraham, uh, life expectancy, life average was about 200 years. 200 years. Uh, Genesis 11.32 says, Terah, uh, Abraham was an offspring of Terah. He lived 205 years and then Terah died. And then Abraham says in Genesis 25.7, the years of Abraham's life that he lived were 175 years and then he died. And it said that Abraham lived a full life, a long life. So God had made a change after the time of the flood. You go from 900 years down to about 200 years. Something drastic changed. God messed with the environment, our physiology, and just His eternal or His spiritual decree. Because He was very grieved at the time of the flood in Genesis 6. when It says God looked down upon the earth and sin was running amok and God was grieved in His heart at all the sin that was going on. And God said, I don't want to live with this sin at this level and at this rate for such a long period of time. So it was a decision that God made. Uh, somewhere in this era, Job lived. Job lived probably a few hundred years, a couple hundred years, a few hundred years, maybe 900 years. We don't know. The only thing we do know is that Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible, which put him back probably at the time of the patriarchs and Abraham. And in Job 42, it says that Job lived for 140 years after all of his sufferings, when God replenished everything in his life. So he could have been 100 years old, 200 years old, 800 years old for all we know. But uh, he lived a long, full life and probably somewhere around the age of Abraham, possibly 200 years, we don't know. But a long time, 140 years. Uh, number six, life expectancy from Abraham to Moses. So this is about, oops, should be 2100 to 1400 B.C. So about a 700-year period where the, the best we can tell from Scripture, the average lifespan was 170, 120 years, sorry, 120 years, all things being equal, uh, meaning that somebody didn't have a, a weird disease or something like that, or they died early in war. Or, but all things considered and all things equal, then the average lifespan was around 120. We know explicitly from Scripture, Deuteronomy 34.7, that Moses was 120 years old when he died. And then even uh, his contemporary Joshua Joshua 24:29. Joshua died being 110 years old. So again, in the big picture of things of world history, pre-flood 900 years for that 1500 year period from the time of 
uh, Noah's ancestors to Abraham, it goes down from 900 to about 200. And now it goes down even more from 200 down into the 120s, 110 on average. So you've got this steady decline of life because death is the consequence of sin. And so life is snuffed out and life is also shortened. And that's what Psalm 90 said. Consequence of sin. So then, let's get to modern day, number seven. Life expectancy. Life expectancy since Moses. So that would be 1400 B.C. to 2011. July 10. This is what Scripture says. Life expectancy, all things being considered equal, is between 70 and 80 years of age. And I want to flip to Psalm 90 and, and let's go ahead and look at it. We read this earlier. I need to read it again. This is amazing. This flies in the face of many things that people say today. I don't know if you've ever heard the routinely repeated statement that, well, people are living a lot longer today than they were in the past. That's just not true. Generally, that is not true. And, you know, there's a context. Usually they're thinking, well, in the early colonial days. Yeah, sure. The pioneers and whatever, and they didn't have access to medical help, and they didn't have fresh fruit and those kind of things, and they brought early death upon themselves. There are reasons for that. But categorically, as a rule, for all things were equal in terms of what they had available to eat and other health, medical resources available to them that everybody else had, life hasn't been different. Life expectancy wasn't drastically different a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago. And I know that because that's what Scripture clearly says. So let's look at Psalm 90. Again, so... Moses wrote this psalm, 1400 B.C. And there's a change. And God revealed this change in the life expectancy of humanity through Moses the prophet. And here was the change. No longer will human beings live to be 900, currently in this life. No longer will they live to be 200, as they did in the days of Abraham. No longer will they live to be 120 on average, as they did in the days of Moses. But life expectancy will be shortened once again. And, it's to, and this is the last word that God has given on this fallen, cursed earth that life expectancy will be 70 to 80 years. And, and Moses begins talking about how God is infinite. He is infinite and we are finite. Our life is but a breath. It is it's but a, a whisper. It's a vapor and it is gone compared to Almighty, eternal God. And then in verse 7, for we, he's talking about us as sinners, even if we're believers, we are sinners, for we have been consumed by your anger, God, as sinful people. God is angry with sin. And he must... Punish sin with death. And that's what Moses is talking about. And by your wrath, we have been dismayed as sinners. God, you have placed our iniquities before yourself, our secret sins in the light of your presence. And as a result, our lives have been shortened. Verse 9, for all of our days have declined because of your fury. There it is. All of our days have been shortened because of your fury. How come we went from 900 years on earth in the days of Adam down to 70 to 80 now, thousands of years later? Because of this verse right here. For all of our days have, have declined or been shortened because of your fury. The judgment of God, the wrath of God. But there's also the grace of God because He didn't keep going. Okay, I'm down to 70. Okay, now it's 50. Now it's 20. Now He didn't do that. That's the grace of God. It's 70 to 80. He has preserved that. He's faithful to it. 
Verse 9, for all of our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. Verse 10, as for the days of our life, this is Moses talking. This is a new decree. This is true even in our day. As for the days of our life, human expectancy, the lifespan universally, on average, they contain 70 years. I just think this is cool of how the Bible is so specific. The average lifespan is about 70 years. And then it modifies it a little bit. Because all the variables in life and not everybody's the same. Or, Moses goes on, if due to strength, then 80 years. So the average lifespan from the time of Moses would be 70 to 80 years. And the average of that is 75 years about. I think that's amazing. So I went online and started checking out all the statistics. And according to the CIA, with its official research, the average life expectancy in America in 2011 is 77 years. What a coinkydink. What a coinkydink. And then they list country by country, 500 countries. And I just looked at the first 200 countries listed by the CIA in terms of their stats and data for 2011. And the, the overall average of the first 200 countries listed, if you took the overall average, life expectancy was 75 years old. What a coinkydink. That's the CIA, secular organization, governmental organization. It was amazing. Then I just started checking out key countries. Well, what about the largest nation in the world? China, where are they at? They eat better than we fat Americans, don't they? That should make a difference. Well, here's what CIA said about China. Life expectancy in China is 73. 73. I'm going to keep eating the, the uh, Lucky Charms. And the McDonald's. Thank you very much. Uh, CIA had UK average life expectancy 77, Germany 77, Spain 79, France 79, Russia 69. See, bringing that average back in. China said, isn't that amazing? Moses said 3,400 years ago, God decreed life expectancy is going to be about 75 years of age. And even today, life expectancy is about 75 years of age. It's not a coincidence at all. God decreed it. It's true. 70 to 80. Uh, King David, who lived in about 1000 B.C., 2 Samuel, he's after the time of Moses. He's after the time that this decree was given. He was a king who loved God, who served God, and God loved him in return or as well. And it says very clearly in Scripture, 2 Samuel 5.4, that David, uh, if he put his years together, he died when he was 70. Isn't that amazing? David lived a full life and he died when he was 70. That's exactly what God said would happen. Then I thought, okay, well, maybe... Let's look throughout all eras of history since that time. Of famous people. Not obscure people, famous people. So I just started thinking of people. Plato, he was a famous guy. He invented Play-Doh, I think, but uh, 79 years old when he died, as far as they know. And all these guys, by the way, I chose them because there's a lot in writing about them and there's a lot that they wrote. So we have objective data. They're not obscure. Origen is considered one of the earliest apologists of the church and wrote a ton of stuff. So there's a lot in writing. So we have a lot of information on his personal life. And the best we could determine, we even know the year he died. And he was 70 years old when he died. 70. Isn't that amazing? Augustine, one of the greatest fathers of the church, died when he was 75. The exact average of Psalm 90. Muhammad, who did have unique health problems at the end of his life, even made it to 63 years of age. Anselm, considered one of the greatest medieval theologians at 1000 A.D., lived to be 76. Martin Luther, who also had unique health problems at the end of his life, died when he was 61, considered to be a normal life at the time. 
you know, we think, well, those people back in the 1700s, 1800s, they, you know, they all died when they were 30 and 40 because they didn't have medical attention. That's not true. It's just not true. Charles Wesley lived to be 87. 1703 to 1791. 87. Mark Twain died when he was 74. Amazing. We can trust the Bible. It's true. I just looked up uh, some recent world records. You know, when somebody does live a long time, it's very unique. It's not the norm. Uh, in 1998, Hans Mortensen died here in America, and he was 115 years of old, and it was a big deal because nobody else was even close. 115 was considered to be unique and out of the ordinary, and it is because life expectancy averages 77 in America. That was 1998. And then 1997, Jean Calment from France. Sorry, I never took French. My fault. Or Jeannie. Maybe it's a girl. Jeannie or Jean died when they were 122. 1997. Big deal. Because that is not the norm. And those vitamins, they ain't going to help you. So again, we can trust God's Word. I just think that's cool. Number eight. Before we get to number eight, you could actually put a seven eight B. Because uh, it is true that life expectancy on this earth will change one more time, and that's when Jesus comes back, and we have the millennium on earth, and there will be some people in resurrection bodies who will never die on earth, but also scripture's clear there will be people in non resurrection bodies, according to Isaiah and other passages and People will be giving birth and during the time of the millennium for a thousand years of Christ's reign on the earth. And Isaiah says that anybody that dies a hundred years of age is going to die as an infant or prematurely. So clearly, life expectancy is expanded once again during the time of the millennium on earth in the future. And Isaiah even says that partial uh, curse is going to be removed during that time, which is going to lend itself to longevity and a great life expectancy during the, uh, the millennium yet to come. And then... After the millennium is the new heaven and the new earth where every believer will live forever and death will be eradicated and cast into the lake of fire to haunt and chase down believers no more. We will have eternal life spiritually, but also literally physical eternal life in resurrection bodies forever. That is absolutely amazing. But that is the promise of God and we can trust Him at His Word. So with that, in light of all of this that I have shared, as because of sin... Life expectancy has been cut short as a result of God's wrath and fury towards sin, which is the bad news and the good news. He's provided salvation of that sin to appease His wrath through the willing, perfect life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And anybody embracing Him as Savior and Lord can be saved from the wrath of God. And if you've been saved, you're a saint and you're a holy one for just a very short period of time here on, on earth. And those of you, as you get older, you know that, right? Life is a breath. Where did it all go? Man, I'm already this age. My children are already this age. Life just flies by, especially young people. You need to hear that. Uh, and Ezekiel, I mean, uh, Ecclesiastes remind us, reminds us of that in Ecclesiastes 12, reminding young people, young people, man, take advantage of life. Be a good steward. Life flies by. Honor God. Fear Him. Live your life with purpose. That's why Piper wrote that book about not wasting your life. Which brings us to point number eight. Life is short. Life is short. Redeem the time for Christ. Redeem the time for Christ. And we all need to be reminded of that, don't we? 
about our priorities, how we invest our time, our energy, our gifts, our entertainment, everything. God, am I redeeming my time for You, for Your glory, for my good? May that be the heart's desire of all of us as we commit God to that. And that's why in Psalm 90, when it's talking about the imminence or the immediacy of death and how short life is in light of God's fury, we only have 70 to 80 days and Moses cries out as a prayer on behalf of all believers, which should also be our prayer as a result of the fact that God, death is imminent, life is short, teach us, help us to number our days, make every day count. Life is short, make every day count. And God, help us to be faithful in that regard. Ephesians 5 is the New Testament echo on this. Ephesians 5 15 through 16, where Paul, through the Holy Spirit, reminds Christians, you need to, life is short, you need to redeem the time, you need to live for Christ. And he said, be careful how you walk. Be, care, be conscientious how you live your life from day to day, making the most of your time. And one translation beautifully says, redeeming the time. Make every moment count, every hour count, in light of our short life that will be offered, really as an offering to God, that we trust when we see Him and meet Him in heaven, that He can say, well done, good and faithful Servant, enter into the presence of my Father. And that's our desire as those who know and love Jesus Christ. With that, let's go ahead and pray to God and commit this day to Him and thank Him for the truth of His Word that we can trust it. Father, we do thank You for Your goodness to us. I thank You that You haven't left us on our own, but I do thank You that You've given us Scripture as our food, as our milk, as our roadmap, as the light and the lamp as to how we're supposed to live in this life. Thank You that we can count it to be true in practical matters, in spiritual matters. It's amazing, God. Thank You for the reminders today about the shortness of life. And God, resound in our mind through Your Holy Spirit the truth of Your Word all week long for those of us who know You personally that life is short and as a result we need to count or number our days. We need to be faithful stewards. We need to redeem the time. And God, we need Your grace to pull it off. God, be gracious to us. We plead with You. We trust and know that You will grant us our heart's desire in that regard. Thank You so much for providing Jesus Christ as Savior and solution for death, the penalty of sin. And if anyone has not come to Jesus Christ personally, God, I pray that You would keep wooing them, convicting them, drawing them with the truth of Your Word and Your Holy Spirit that they might find refuge, salvation, in our gracious, blessed Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650 630 0009.